We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant the church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. The Amaris had a baby. It was a, it was a baby boy. And um, we got a little flower down here just to commemorate and celebrate it. Um, the boy was born on the 16th of December at 9.47 p.m., I talked to Phil, and in good Phil Amar fashion, I was like, hey, Phil, is that boy benching and squatting yet? You got him on creatine yet? And all I got was a, <laughs> so that's a, I guess no, but a, it's going to be a good big boy, I'm sure, yeah. So mama and baby boy are doing well. He's eating like a champ, and the sisters are excited. So, uh, and hey, just one more comment on uh, Christmas Eve, and Michael and uh, David just did a great job, but we just want to, again, bring it to the surface that uh, uh, during these, these COVID times, God is just stirring things up, isn't he? He's really rattling like the whole world, and people are sensitive to spiritual things. And so uh, be on the lookout, or uh, uh, the gospel writers would say, have your eyes to the harvest. Um, and as you, as you uh, think through and pray through who you'd like to invite, um, the, outside here, it says church services, uh, 10 o'clock on Sundays and, and 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve. And uh, that is, it's a little misleading, isn't it? Like, we don't want to just invite people to a service with a start time and an end time. Like, Jesus would say, come and, and follow me. Like, give of your life and, 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 and serve me. And so what we're doing is we're, we're seeing if people know Jesus out there. And if they don't... Th- we want to invite them to the Lord and to experience Him and learn His ways and walk with Him in community with us. And so it's a, it's a tall ask, a high order, right? So, so be thinking and praying through, who has God put in your life? Uh, recognize the times and uh, be bold in the next few days um, and, and use Christmas Eve as an on-ramp uh, in relationship. So um, just to just to share that as an encouragement. So let's pray one more time, and then we'll dive into God's Word together, okay? So Father, we love you, and uh, we are asking today that uh, wherever we are, mentally and physically, spiritually, that you would meet us right where we are at, that you would minister to our hearts through your Word, and that through the truth of God's Word, that it would pierce us to the core, and that we wouldn't be the same when we leave here. Lord, we want to love you more. We want to serve you more. And we want to know how it is to walk with you. I pray that you would uh, fend off distraction, that you would guard our hearts from uh, chasing after other things, and that you would allow our minds and our hearts to be all here right now, because we'll never get it back. So would you change us from within? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. 
All right, well, let's get started. So we've been um, doing a Christmas series, and we've called it uh, Red Doors Christmas. And if you're new with us uh, this, this morning, we're excited that you're here. Um, we've, been, we've been calling it that and, and, and talking about it because in the early church, uh, they used to paint their doors red. And so as to send the message that, uh, that, that when you come to church, that you remember and you celebrate the blood of Jesus that was shed for you, right? So that's not to say that just when, because you have entered a building, you're a Christian. Just because you've entered through uh, painted doors that uh, you, uh, you, you have repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But it is a symbol of the church that is, that is long old, that we've celebrated, and, and we've used it as a reminder to say that when believers come in, they've got something special to celebrate, something to remember. It's got significant meaning that when you come into the church, that you can celebrate that Jesus Christ's work for you is completed, it's finished. That when he died on the cross for your sins, he himself said, it's finished. And this means a lot of things. It's got a lot of implications, ramifications. It means that all who are weary and heavy laden, those who are tired, that they can come and they can celebrate Jesus and be open and honest with him and with each, and with each other. They can celebrate the completeness of Christ and realize that, yeah, <laughs> I don't have to be complete. I can actually be open and honest that I'm incomplete because there was only one person that was whole. This means that when you come to church, it's a special, unique atmosphere. We celebrate with special and unique people. We can say things like, hey, we're finished with our sin. We're, we're sick and tired of it, and we want to leave it. We need help. And we find rest and peace in the finished work of Christ. And we uh, looked last week at those who are welcomed, like those who come in Jesus' words, right? We studied when he said, come, all you who labor and who are heavy laden. And we talked about the reward if you come. It says that I will give you rest, right? So the question would be, did you experience rest this week? Not just like, did you get a good nap in, but like, did you experience the peace of God through the ebbs and flows of life as you were shopping and the grocery lists were, were long and then they shrank and then they were long again? Did you have inner peace in your heart as you were invited by God to continually come to Him? Or just a little bit of review did you have rest from the terror of sin, right? The power of sin. Did you have rest in God alone this week? So we're liking it to if, if Jesus, like in Revelation 3, is knocking at your doors and you, you allowed him in. If last week was, what kind of people does Jesus welcome in? This week we're asking so if we come in, if we, if we commune with God, what will it be like? How will He treat me? 
Like, what if I come to God through Jesus? This is not just a conversion question. This is for believers too. What if I come to Him with all my junk? Will He be tired of me? Will He be annoyed at me? What will His very character be like? Will He be austere? Will He be demanding? Will He be severe with me? Will he be standoffish and like overly dignified? Is his heart pompous? Is he a distant God? In short, what is his very heart? The heart of Jesus Christ. So the title of the sermon this morning is His Heart, Dash, Gentle and Lowly. His Heart, Gentle and Lowly. And the timeless truth Uh, that we're communicating this morning is that the character of Jesus bids me, bids you, bids us to come and find rest for your soul. So the character of Jesus bids me to come and find rest. And the text this morning, as I've said, is Matthew 11, 29 and 30. Let me read it for us, okay? Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So today, like last week, I'm going to quote unashamedly from my favorite book of all time, uh, Gentle and Lowly. And I'm going to do it because I think that this guy uh, handles these two verses better than anyone in church history. His name's Dane Ortland. Uh, we recommended this book last week, and it sold like hotcakes. I'm sorry, there are no more copies available. Uh, but the subtitle is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And we're going to find that the unique ministry of Jesus Uh, moves towards the sufferer and the sinner. He's not standoffish, but he moves towards you. Uh, So in this book, uh, it points out like Charles Spurgeon observes and Ray Ortland read and he passed it on to his son, Dane Ortland, who passed it on to me and and, and said this, that of all the Gospels, of everything written about Jesus, and everything that Jesus said, there's just one place where Jesus opens up to his followers and tells them his very heart. And it's these verses right here. These ones that we're reading and studying today about how he is gentle and lowly at heart. So if you're taking notes, just write down heart and dash. So the heart, the heart's a really important concept in the scriptures. We call it, it's like the driver's seat of the soul. It's the very center of who we are. Solomon talks about it, and he says that from it, from the heart, the very wellsprings of life flow. And Jesus says two things about his heart. That his heart is gentle and his heart is lowly. So let's talk about them, okay? 
So first, gentle. So we're saying Jesus is gentle. In the New Testament, uh, it uses two other words to describe this concept. uh, Meek and humble. So I remember um, in college, I worked at a summer camp. And at the end of every two weeks, we would bring our, our campers in together and we would give them character awards, right? And we would give them two characters each time. And I remember this particular camp, I had a bunch of 10-year-olds and all the parents of the 10-year-olds gather around. And I remember this one kid especially, I just, I just loved him. And I wanted to really honor him and give him a word, a character quality that was unique and special to him, that he exuded and showed over the last two weeks. And so uh, my my co-counselor and I talked about it, and we wrote down the word meek in his character trait, in his character quality award thing, and uh, brought him in, and both of us, you know, I was like 20 or so at the time, when we put our hands on his shoulder And I said, moms and dads, we've been spending time with your kids this week. And uh, this is, you know, so-and-so. And And I want to honor him because this young lad, this young boy, he shows the character of meekness. He's meek, friends. And I explained it a little bit. And and I looked at his mom and dad. And just kind of like in that cartoon when you see, like, the red show up like a thermometer, it was like I was watching the dad get red hot in anger, right? And afterwards, um, I approached him and I said, hey, are you, are you okay? You know, are you excited like about your kid? And, you know, kind of just fishing for like, why was he so angry? And he goes, I can't believe you called my kid meek, Right? Don't you ever say that he was meek. Like, my kid's tough. He's the, and, like, and he just talked about all these, like, very, what would today's culture say, like, very masculine and, like, very, like, beefy characteristics. And I was like, oh, man, like, what am I supposed to say? And then so I said, sir, uh, Jesus was meek. Like, isn't that okay? And, and he for a moment, like, was caught on his heels, and it was like, oh, yeah, like, I forgot. Like, it's okay to be meek. And we further talked about it, but, like, friends, meekness is a great quality. Like, Jesus himself says, hey, I'm humble, I'm meek, I'm gentle. That doesn't mean that's his only quality. Like sometimes we look at pictures or paintings and it's like Jesus with long like flowing locks and he's got this this sheep on his shoulder and you think like he's not very tough. There's no calluses on his hands. That's not like entirely an accurate picture. But what we're saying and what we see here in this text is Jesus was gentle. This gentleness or meekness, the word described here is like a stallion that is reined in. That's what meek means. A wild horse that has strength under control. And that's Jesus. He's got incredible strength, but he's got self-control. He's not like going irate He's not going to be savage, but he's gentle. He has power, 
And his power is surrendered unto the Father. Isn't that a great picture? Like, doesn't that color your understanding of who Jesus is? A meek son. A gentle or humble man. Jesus says that the meek will inherit the earth. And in another place in Scripture, it talks about um, in Zechariah 9.9, this is a prophecy of Jesus. It says that Jesus, who is the king, he will come to you and he will be humble and he will be riding on a donkey. So this king, he will have great strength, Zechariah says, but he will be meek and gentle at heart. So he won't be out of control or rage against the nations. He will be, as, as the great Christmas hymn says, he will be like the desire of all nations. Everyone will be drawn to him, especially because he is gentle. We will want to be like him. And just a side note, I, I love Christmas time and I love Easter time, and I, I love unique times within the church calendar. Usually, we, we take portions of Scripture, and we've, um, we call it expositional preaching or expository preaching, where we get the, the main idea of the passage, and that's the main idea of the sermon. But sometimes, like in Christmas or unique Sundays, we can take like a verse or two and dwell on it deeply. I mean, take like this word gentle and just sit in it for a while and cherish Jesus and his character. That's what we're doing. To, to continue, gentleness is not this sign of, of weakness. So we see Peter, one of his followers, talk about how wives are to seek a spirit of gentleness. That's 1 Peter 3, 4. It says that the hidden person of a heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. There it is, right? And as you know, we're family here. Uh, the, the, the Newman family has four daughters. And this verse is often used in our training of our girls at home. Like we want to, we want to train our girls to have gentle and, and quiet spirit. That's not to say that like, just because we say it or just because we're trying to train it, that it automatically happens. We know that that only comes from God uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Lord has called Hannah and I to train our girls uh, in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. It doesn't mean that um, when they're young, they don't like put on shows uh, like when we host people. Or it doesn't mean that, that they can't be like, wild and crazy and charades, but it, that their very heart would be gentle and that they would be tender or quiet. Like when, when we're in crowds, um, we encourage them not to seek out or demand to be the center of attention. And like when, when mom and I are having conversations, we encourage them to, to touch us on their arm if they have something to say. Not to barge into the kitchen and say, I got something to say, right? But excuse me, mom and dad, right? We encourage our girls to be good listeners and not at the dinner table to dominate the conversation, but to grow up to be gentle in spirit. 
And just as we continue to turn this idea of gentleness on its side and, its, and view its various angles, gentleness doesn't mean that we, we send our girls into the corner and say, quiet you. Like, don't talk. We want you to be gentle and quiet. <laughs> That's not it. I remember my mom uh, talking to me about what kind of woman I should marry. And she would, she would say, marry a woman whose waters run deep. There's a lot of babbling brooks out there, right? Loud rapids. But when you find a woman who's slow to speak and quick to listen, you'll find that she has very deep waters. So I don't know if any of you have been whitewater rafting, but sometimes the rapids can be dangerous. But when you are in the deep waters, it's quiet, it's peaceful, you enjoy the river, that's when it's most safe. So up to this point, you might be like, all right, that's nice and all, Newman. Like, thanks for sharing a couple verses here and there, but like, Tell me how gentleness and the gentleness of Jesus impacts my relationship with him, right? Like if Jesus is gentle, so what? So let's talk about that, okay? So earlier when Jesus says, hey, come, come to me, all you who are weary and and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And then he opens up his heart and he says, I'm gentle. What does it mean for you this week, today, and it means this. He won't be harsh with you when you come. He'll treat you kindly. In, in, to be analogous of like the hosting illustration, like if you open the door to him and if he comes in and he to eat with you and you with him, he's not going to start this food fight, right? He's not, if you serve him a meal and if you're sitting at the table, he's not going to look at it. He's not going to click his tongue and he's not going to go like, ah, this is sick. Like that's not the heart of Jesus. He's not going to overthrow the table when you come to him all weak and heavy and burdened and all messed up. He won't be quick to anger with your weakness, with your shortcomings, and with your sin. He won't be, because he's gentle. And as Dane Ortland puts it, he is the most understanding person in the universe. So friends, have you ever thought this? I shouldn't come to God after what I've done. Have you ever thought that? Like, what would he do? What's he going to think of me? So know this. Jesus says of himself that he's gentle. And that should give you great confidence in coming. Are you with me? Let's look at lowly, okay? First, he's gentle. And now he's saying, I'm lowly at heart. 
So lowly kind of just seems like another word for, for gentle or humble until you start looking at the various ways it's used, especially in the New Testament. And one of my favorite uh, verses where it uses lowly is in Romans 12, uh, Romans 12, 16. You don't have to go there, but let me just read it for you, okay? It, Paul says, not to be haughty, but to associate with the lowly. Okay, so there's another place where lowly is used. In James chapter 2, you get the same kind of picture that Paul was trying to paint in Romans 12, where uh, there's two men, essentially, that come into a room. One is dressed to the hilt, has gold rings on, has beautiful clothes on, and then the other smells nasty, is in rags, both of them kind of sit down next to you. And the question is, which one are you repulsed at? Which one do you cringe at? Which one are you more prone to show preference to? And obviously, everyone's like, well, the rich dude, of course. I don't want to sit next to the smelly guy. But Paul says to associate with the smelly guy. To Go towards him to pursue him. Someone who is socially unimpressive. Jesus is saying, that's what I do. I love that kind of person. That's my very nature. That's who I'm drawn to. That's the kind of person that Jesus draws near to. The lowly the socially unimpressive, the one who doesn't have everything together. And this is the point. Essentially, we're all lowly and unimpressive. Like This is ministry towards mankind, to all who believe. Have you ever felt unimpressive? Have you ever felt like you never measure up? So the unique character of Jesus Christ, or I'll say it this way, right? The, the very heart that moves towards those who experience these feelings is the heart of Jesus. That's his heartbeat. That's his DNA. Like the reason that Jesus moves towards us is not because we were impressive. But rather, like Titus uh, 3 says, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. That's Jesus. He loved us, not because we first loved Him. He first loved us. So there He is, the very heart of Jesus today. He's gentle and He's lowly, friends. What are we going to do with this man? In the verbiage of the doors, we are to open the doors of our heart to him. Why do we keep it closed? Like his character is trustworthy. Like his ways are tender. His manner is welcoming. What we're saying today is the very like nature and character, the heart of Jesus compels or bids the man to come 
and what? And find rest for his souls. So he won't dupe you. Like he's not out to trick you. He doesn't like have something up his sleeve. Like if you welcome him in, if you come to him like he's inviting you, you can trust his character. I remember one time when, um, when we were, Hannah was discipling two high school girls and they were sitting on the couch and, and I, I came to him and I, it was a cold day in Texas, right? So it was like probably 70 degrees or so. And uh, I said, hey, ladies, do you want any tea? And uh, one of the girls was like, well, sure, I'd love some tea. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go make some tea. How can you, you know, screw this up, right? So uh, I heated the water, made the tea, and like, like got the tray going and everything, got the kettle and the sugar and, you know, teacups, and um, put it on in front of them, and I poured the tea, and, and I said, would you like some sugar? And she's like, well, sure, and got out the sugar, and, you know. Uh, you know, mixed it in there and just like sat with them for a minute and watched the reaction of like my glorious mag, magnum opus, like my, my masterpiece before their eyes, my tea. And, and one of them, like just, you could tell that she wasn't really enjoying the tea. You know, what's a high schooler girl to do with this, with this guy who's serving her? And so like, she's kind of has this une- uneasiness and and um, my wife so graciously goes, hey, um, did, you, did you put that in, uh, in her tea? And, you know, house of girls, tea parties all the time. Um, I, I couldn't find, like, the white sugar, and so I took the pink tea party sugar, right? The pink tea party sugar, and I put it in there. And, uh, and I, I was like, this is going to be feminine and great for all these girls. And Hannah goes... Oh, sweetheart, that's the, um, that's the Himalayan salt, right? And, uh, and like my reaction was a number of things as a man. Uh, the first one was like Himalayan salt. Hannah, we can't afford salt from the Himalayan mountains. Like, what are we doing? Salt is white or black. How can we even afford pink salt? And, you know, things like that. And I, you know, I just, I just felt like, oh man, what else? Lord, you know. But that's like sometimes we approach God and we, we're like, what, what's he going to put in my tea? If I come to him and I start drinking of his waters, is, is he going to like dupe me? Is he going to trick me? Kind of like, I mean, I didn't intend to do that. But from then on out, that was kind of the joke in our relationship. I'd be like, hey, you want some tea? And she's like, not really, you know. You know, I don't really want your tea. Is that, is that how Jesus will respond if we come to him? Is he sneaky? Is he going to do something we don't expect? Is he going to, like, put salt in your tea? No. He knows you. He cares for you. Like our, our Jesus, he's the chief shepherd. He's the, the lover of soul. So again, we ask, like, what happens if you let him in to your various challenges, your struggles, your ups and downs of life? What happens? What will the interaction be like? We already know his, his manner, his character to be gentle and lowly. Like if you're a visioneer kind of person, you would ask like, 
what will be the trajectory of our time, right? Or if you're a purpose statement kind of person, like what will the end goal be of my time if I come to God? And I think verse 29 answers these questions. Let your eyes go there. Jesus says here that he will take his yoke and he'll put it on you and that you'll begin to learn from him. Do you see that? So today, I don't know if you can see it, but I, I brought a yoke for all you city folks out there who don't know what an old-fashioned yoke is. Okay, So a yoke is a farming tool. And when you're plowing the field in the olden days, it was common to allow two cattle to pull your plow. And if one was faster than the other, you would plow in circles, right? Or if one was, had a limp, you would still plow in circles. So a yoke was created so that the master could control the two cattle or the two donkey, it doesn't matter, whatever's in there, so that you would plow in a straight line. So obviously, like when you're reading this, you wouldn't necessarily expect that from Jesus. Like he's saying, my, I'm gentle and I'm going to give you rest. I'm lowly and, and, and it's going to be awesome. And you're like, hold up though. You're saying you're going to put a yoke on me. Like I thought if, you, if, if I was going to come to you, like things would get easier. And now you're talking like you're treating me like a beast of burden. Like you're going to put a burden on me. And the natural mind, like the natural man, would think like this. That means if I come to you, I'll have to do more stuff. Like, I don't, I don't want any additional burdens. Like, I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. Like, will I be forced to go to church from, by you, Jesus? Like, am I going to have to sit in a circle in living rooms and, and talk about you? Am I going to have to set up chairs, Jesus? What about singing? I don't even like singing. What about like serving my wife or my kids or my neighbors or my community? I don't want to serve. It's all, it's, it's all stuff that sounds like it's going to fill my calendar. This is actually just what I want. I want to save my money. I want to retire when I'm old. I want to move to Florida. Leave me alone. I just want to live my life. So Jesus, don't put anything on me. But those are the words of a donkey that's plowing his fields in circles. There's no direction. And this donkey that like says that seemingly is unyoked without a master. Let me share with you how Dane Ortland from this book, Gentle and Lowly, explains it. And this is just a little bit of a longer quote, so kind of perk up your ears. He writes, Consider what Jesus is saying. The yoke is the heavy crossbar that leads on oxen to force them to drag farm equipment through the field. Jesus is using kind of irony, saying that the yoke laid on his disciples is a non-yoke, for it is a yoke of kindness. Who can resist this? 
It's like telling a drowning man that he must put on the burden of a life preserver only to hear him shout back sputtering, no way, not me. This is hard enough drowning here in these stormy waters. The last thing I need is the added burden of a life preserver around my body. That is what we are all like. Confessing Christ with our lips, but generally avoiding deep fellowship with him out of a muted understanding of his heart. His yoke is kind, and his burden is light. That is, his yoke is a non-yoke, and his burden is a non-burden. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. And we are buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness and and supreme, accessible lowliness. Are you catching his heart today? This is Jesus. John Calvin describes this yoke as being in the school of Christ. And it's helpful language because we are learners of Jesus. And so if you're looking for an action point from this Sunday, if we're going to use the verbiage of a school of Christ, it kind of lends itself to homework language, okay? All right, so I know, kids, you just like got on Christmas break, and you're like, oh no, the pastor has given me homework. And perhaps adults, this is, this is maybe how your mind might start thinking if we're not trained by God's word. Oh no, what's the homework going to be? He's going to tell me to pray more. Do more for the church. Give more. More reading. More evangelizing. More. 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 See? Were you doing it? We're thinking like donkeys. This is not the way of Christ. This is the way of circling. What is Jesus telling us? Come. Just come. So what are your burdens? Just come. Are you weary and tired of trying on your own? Come to me. Is your soul at war within you? Come. This is the invitation of Christmas. The traditional hymn, O come all ye faithful. A lot of folks are hesitant to sing that. Like, that's not me. But we interpret that as not, O come all you who have faith, but come all ye who have it together. And that is not it. That's why a new, newer hymn has just been written. Oh, come all ye unfaithful. Look it up. And when you do, when you come in your mess, when you're in process, watch what God can do with your life. Watch what he does through the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, friends, it won't be immediate. It'll be like a slow drip in your life. But what you thought before 
what might be a yoke of burden will become an unyoke. Do you hear me? Your desires will begin to change as you're yoked to Jesus. You'll learn from him and he'll teach you. There's no salt in the tea. You'll want him more and you'll begin to experience rest for your souls and your heart won't be divided because you'll be free. Amen? I'm going to leave you with two prayers. They're short prayers. Number one, this is in response to God's word. Lord, when I come to you, I'm trusting your character will be consistent with me. Thank you for being gentle and lowly. That's the first prayer. Trusting his character. Will you do it this week? Will you come to him? Second prayer. Lord, if you teach your heart in your school, would you make me gentle and lowly? If you teach your heart in your school, would you make me gentle and lowly? That's how we can pray this week. Let's pray together. So Father, we close our time. We are grateful. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for your son Jesus that he opens and tells us what he's like. Would you, would you prod us? Would you beckon? Would you bid us to come? I pray that each person here would walk closely with you. And Lord, that as we do, that we would, would shine brightly for your son Jesus. Lord, there's sickness going on. There's troubles. There's anxiety. There's uh, suicide and depression. Lord, the answer is found in your son Jesus. Help us speak of him off, often and go to him often. We're trusting you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.